Well, we have another Valentine's Day behind us. To be honest, I've never been a big Valentine's Day kind of guy. I always thought this was one of those Hallmark invented holidays, and I had zero interest in celebrating that. The truth is, I don't really discount the holiday itself. I just really hate the way that some holidays have been so fucking commercialized. I think there are two holidays in, in particular, Valentine's Day and St. Patrick's Day, that seem to have gotten sucked into that black hole of commercialism, and the real true meanings of the holidays have long been lost. Of course, Valentine's Day, you know, there's always brief references to St. Valentine from the days of the Roman Empire and how he was martyred for secretly marrying young soldiers who had been forbidden to marry by the emperor. I don't recall which one. I don't think it was Caesar, but one of the other ones. Uh, but there are other myths and stories behind this holiday as well. And it seems that the Catholic Church has three different saints on record to support this holiday. Well, I guess it's good to have a deep bench when it comes to martyrs and saints. Personally, I like an earlier myth that the Christian Church promoted these saints to take over the pagan holiday of Lupercalia, which was celebrated in mid-February, uh, promoting health and fertility. Now, believe me, I'm not advocating that we return to a strict following of old pagan traditions. But it would be an interesting spin on the commercial activities for this holiday. You know, instead of roses and heart-shaped boxes of chocolate, we'd all be in the buying of some ceremonial daggers, goats, and Hallmark cards sprouting new and improved Valentine's greetings, like roses are red, violets are blue. I just killed a goat, and I did it for you. You know, Valentine's Day is not the only holiday that's been totally corrupted by the retail industrial complex. I mean, consider what's happened to St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, held on the anniversary of, of Patrick's death uh, way back in the 5th century, really a legitimate Christian icon, you know, the religious celebration of this holiday, at least here in the United States, has devolved into a comical parody of the Irish culture with leprechauns, shamrocks, and for some totally idiotic reason, drinking green beer. You know, in Ireland, this is not just a college fraternity drinking day. No, it's more of a somber religious event, a true national holiday. The banks are closed. It's a paid day off the works. Now, when the Catholic Church eased up on the Lent-based restrictions on food and drinking alcohol for this holiday, that really kicked off the idea that this was just a reason to drink yourself silly. Wear green and talk with a horrible Irish accent. It's a shame that the commercialization of this particular holiday has drifted so far from its historical roots and original traditions. Now, don't get me wrong, I have a huge amount of respect for the Irish culture. It's one of the great Celtic nations. You know, and as much as I've traveled around the world, from Sao Paulo to New Delhi to Bangkok, I have yet to find myself somewhere that did not have an Irish-themed pub. I mean, you just can't be that far away from a nice fish and chips and a pint of Guinness, am I right? Now, there are other invented holidays that really don't stand up to this test either. I mean, consider Mother's Day and Father's Day. I mean, Mother's Day started in 1908 by a lady named Anna Jarvis in West Virginia. And even before her death in 1948, she was railing against the commercialization of the event that she started. She said, and I quote, A printed card means nothing except that you're too lazy to write to the woman who's done more for you than anyone in the world. And candy. You take a box to mother and then you eat most of it yourself. A petty sentiment. Well, I guess if you need a calendar reminder to call your mom or your dad, you're a pretty shitty kid. And sending a damn card won't fix that. Okay, well, I'm going to get off my soapbox now and enjoy my whiskeys. Uh, stay tuned for a little more on that. Okay, I'm back from the bar and I'm enjoying a nice 
Akintoshan single malt. So let me tell you a little bit about this distillery. Uh, it's a lowland distillery, and it's in the western lowlands. And to, to determine a lowland, if you draw a line between uh, Edinburgh and Glasgow, anything south of that is kind of considered a lowland. And there's not many lowland distilleries, only a handful. Akintoshan is one of the one of the more prominent ones. Uh, and one of their, their claims to fame is, is their triple distillation, uh, which makes a really light, a really light flavor, light bodied whiskey. Um, and, you know, a lot of the Irish whiskeys are triple distilled. So if you like Irish whiskeys, um, you'll love the Akintoshan. Uh, but but it's not bland. It has a really nice um, you know, kind of an orange orangey flavor and orange look to it. Um, the uh, this particular um, particular distillation is called Three Wood. Um, there's no age on it, but it's been at least ten years uh, in a bourbon barrel. Uh, then it spends another year in an Oloroso sherry barrel, and then the last six months they put it into a, a, a Pedro Jimenez sherry. Um, uh, keg. So it, it's those three different types of, of wood barrels that make this uh, whiskey so distinctive. Um, so you know, Akintosh is Gaelic for, for, for corner of the field, and I have no idea why they, they decided that, that, that this distillery must have been in the corner of somebody's field. Um, but it's just south of Glasgow, um, and they've been distilling since about 1825. The, uh, uh, it, it's Currently it's owned by uh, Suntory, and th this Japanese group really loves their whiskeys, and they're doing a fantastic job of maintaining Akintoshan. So if you're ever in that area, you can stop in the distillery. It's a wonderful place to, to, to look around and uh, enjoy a nice whiskey. So yeah, let me finish this, and I have an uppity woman story I want to share with you too. Right back. Hey, welcome back. So what would you call a woman who learned a dozen languages, graduated with a law degree from Ultuk University, studied medicine, taught philosophy, wrote books, and in her spare time was a sculptor and painter of note? Uh, unmarriable. At least that's what Anna Maria von Schurman's mother thought. She wanted Anna to stick to the needlework like normal upper-class girls born in 1607. Now, despite her mom's angst, her Renaissance daughter eventually had the world knocking on her Dutch doors Celebrity eggheads like Descartes exchanged ideas with Anna Maria. Besides scholarly works like her Ethiopian grammar, she wrote well-received books on gender-neutral intelligence and medicine. Now, this striking brunette was dazzlingly multifaceted. In fact, one of her talents was engraving on glass with a diamond. Another was painting portraits with big price tags. In her late 50s, Anna embraced uh, Labadism, a utopian religious community whose Quaker-like beliefs attracted a lot of flack back in 17th century Europe. That didn't matter a whole lot to Anna. She spent her last florins helping the poor and spreading the spiritual ideas of Labadism, and Anna class to the last. A true Renaissance woman. Hats off to you, Anna Maria. Well, that's all for today. Uh, thanks for stopping by the pub. Uh, I hope you'll come back to see us again. Ciao.